by Passion Church, the DeSoto County campus, the fun church in Horn Lake, Mississippi. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church. Amen. Let's step into the power of Christ. That sounds good. Aren't you glad that you've come to a house where the presence of God is? Aren't you glad that we can bring the presence of God wherever we go? We are temples of the living God. That's what the Bible says, and we need to act like it. We need, to, we need to stand strong in this hour in which we live. You're not just mere mortals. You have God on the inside of you. You have God's vision surrounding you. You have God's plan, and God's blood covers you. God's word inspires you. God's spirit indwells you and empowers you. Come on, somebody. Don't make me preach by myself. I mean, I'm telling you, this is good. It is good to go to the house of the Lord so we can get together and encourage one another because it's rough out there. And we need that encouragement. That's right. So encourage one another. Shake that person next to you. Say, wake up. This is the day that the Lord has made. And I will rejoice and be glad in it. Now, last week, well, before we go, let's, let's pray. Let's pray. You can't pray enough in the house of God. He said, my house will be a house of prayer. Amen? Amen. Where's all the prayer warriors out there? All right, all right, all right. So how many of y'all coming Tuesday night? <laughs> all right. We have a prayer service here Tuesday. We need your supply bad because that's where... That's where the work gets done. That's where our, our side of the equation happens, right there in prayer. We believe God. Father, I, I want to personally thank you for each and every person in this house today, all the way back to the children's rooms and the nursery, every person that comes to serve and to give and to receive from you. These are my brothers and sisters in which you have melded me together in the spirit into a spiritual house together we rise to do your will O oh god father i am excited for the days ahead i am excited that no matter what it looks like on the outside there is growth happening on the inside that is about to explode into this generation there is a remnant of god-fearing people who will not quit who will not give up and are believing you that you might pour your spirit out on them. And that signs and miracles and wonders may be done in the name of your holy son Jesus. That we may give him glory and honor in all that we think, say, and do. That we may be holy as he is holy. That we may be together a city on a hill. Father, we thank you that today is a step forward. Today is the day that you have made. And we're going to rejoice in the word that you're going to give us today. We're going to take what you give us today and we're going to move forward with it. We're going to do the word of God. Not hearers only, but doers of the word of God. We, we, we commit to you right now, Father. To yield unto your spirit what, and have ears 
to hear what your spirit would say. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, last week, man, I know I went a little long last week, but we had to get it out. I appreciate you sticking with me, but we, we talked about what God is doing in the world. Prophecy and Israel and the things that are happening. It's good to know what time you're living in, isn't it? And when you see God doing all these things in the world, you think to yourself, well, that's in the Bible. And when you see it in the Bible and then you see it coming to pass before your eyes, what's that going to do but build faith in your heart that God is large and he's in charge? Ain't nobody paid the cost to be the boss but Jesus. And he is large and he is in charge and he is on the throne and he hasn't moved and he's not biting his fingernails up there. And so when we see him move, just like he said he was going to move when he wrote it down, sometimes 4,000 years ago we see prophecies coming to pass. 4,000 years later, it builds great courage that we serve an almighty God. An almighty God, an all-powerful God. We serve the most high God. There is no other God but our God. And so I got encouraged last week, as you might can tell, but you know what? We, don't, we can't just focus on, on end times. We're living in the now. We're living today. And while it's good to see what God is doing, God has called us to do something. And today we're going to talk about what God is wanting us to do. I think I may have said in a text I sent out that God's given me a couple of revelations that I want to share with you today. But I don't know if they're revelations so much because I think we already know the things that I'm going to speak today. But I believe they're directives from the Lord, reminders from the Lord that these are the things. Do you know God is a practical God? He'll, he'll show you the vision and then he'll tell you every step along the way. He don't want us to get out ahead and he don't want us to fall behind. And so I pray and I ask God, what would you have me tell your people today? What would you have me show your people? I'm not, a, I'm not rehearsing last year's uh, messages. I'm not rehearsing somebody else's messages. I'm not writing them six weeks in advance. In fact, every week, I wait to hear from the Lord. Sometimes, you know, we're on a series and he's, I just have a whole bunch of stuff stored up, you know. But most of the time, I'm listening. And two weeks ago... On November 7th, a Tuesday, I heard two things from, and you know, just, and I'll tell you how I heard them. <clears throat> Nothing magical, the voice of God didn't come down or anything, but they registered in my spirit. And I feel like these are two directives that are very important for us as a church going forward. And I believe also that if you'll practice these two things in your personal life, You'll see your dreams come to pass. Your calling from God will begin to come to pass. So what's the first revelation? You know what, you know what revelations are or, or directives from the Lord are? They're seeds. You remember we've been talking about seed, time, and harvest. If you plant that seed in, a, in the good ground, that it will produce. And so I'm planting some seeds that God wants to plant in your heart. And... We're going to have to do some weeding. We're going to have to do some feeding. 
We're going to have to water this. It ain't going to happen overnight just because we want it to, just because I preached a message. But if we want the end result, if we want that to mature into mature fruit, godly fruit, we need to take heed and be willing to do the Word of God. Even if you mess up, get back up and continue forward. So the first revelation, I was talking to our senior pastor, Pastor Steve Vickers, and he was telling me that there was a time when he was pastoring the Passion Church in Montgomery, Alabama, and they were just in a season where it didn't seem like anything was changing. In fact, it felt like they were just sliding backwards a little bit, you know. Things were going in the wrong direction. How many knows that in this life you're going to have ebbs and flows? There's going to be seasons of increase and seasons of decrease. Hopefully more seasons of increase because you're, cre you're creeping towards prosperity, right? And God's will. But there will be times that pruning, pruning takes place, right? You have to cut some things off to make it grow stronger. I feel like that's kind of been in a season that we've been in. Anyway, he was saying that this was happening at his church in Montgomery. And he said, the Lord spoke to me and said, Pastor Steve, what do you have in your hand? And he said, well, I told the Lord, well, Lord, you know that our church had not, never had this or that. And the Lord interrupted him. The Lord don't typically interrupt people. He lets you say your peace. But he said, Pastor Steve, I didn't ask you what you didn't have. I asked you what you do have. What do you have in your hand? Look at your neighbor and say, what do you have? I know you've, you've been alive long enough to begin to assess, uh, assess your life, to take inventory of your gifts and abilities and the things that God's put in you. If you hadn't, you, you need to. And you can do the same as a collective body of Christ. We can look and see. What does this church, what do we have in our hands? Because oftentimes, maybe I'm just telling on myself, but I, I'm a recovering perfectionist. I'm one of those guys that they walk in the room and they see that that, that ain't straight. That one ain't even straight. How many of you like, notice that? Okay, I left it like that on purpose. Because it was installed by an imperfect person. And it represents the two thieves on the, either side of the cross which were imperfect. So it's okay that we're not perfect. But we keep looking to the one in the middle. That's the one that's perfect. Well, where did I, how did I get off on this? But we concentrate on the things that we don't have as recovering perfectionists. We know it all. We know the way that we like it, the way things ought to be. And when we don't see that happening, it's easy for us to begin to dwell on what we don't have. Oh, and I could start right now. I could begin to tell you things that this church doesn't have, couldn't I? And I often do. But God interrupted Pastor Vickers and said, 
I didn't ask you what you didn't have. I ask you what you do have. And the first directive I feel like the Lord wanted me to share with you is stop doing that. When you talk to your friends about the Passion Church, don't say, well, we're just a little church because pastor says we're just a little church out in the middle of nowhere. Stop saying that. Y'all help me. I got to stop saying that. I know it. I know better than say that, but I still say it. I begin to talk about the things we don't have. And we could talk about that all the time, but what good is that going to do? Help me stop. And I'm trying to help you stop. When you talk to your friends, you, you, I'm going to tell, tell you some things today that you can tell them instead. Okay? Because we're going to start concentrating on the things we do have. In 2 Kings chapter 4, Elisha is, uh, meets up with a widow woman. And she comes and tells Elisha, you know my husband who just passed away. He was one of your prophets. He, he served you. And he was a faithful man. We've been faithful to the ministry. But now that he has passed, the debt collectors have come. You know, it was hard out there for single women in those days. There was no government assistance, so to speak. And so the, she said, the debt collectors have come, and they're wanting to take my two sons and put them into slavery. Now, slavery back then was usually to pay your debts off and so forth. But I want you to know, if your heart is to do God's will, this woman had lived her life in service with her husband to be a prophet of God, to do the things of God. God will meet your needs according to his riches and glory. You don't have to worry. God fed Elijah with a, a raven. He sent him bread and meat. With a raven fed him. And when that dried up, he found another woman with some oil. But Elisha, with this young widow woman, he says in 2 Kings 4, verse 2, he said two things. He said, what can I do to help you? And then he said, tell me, what do you have in the house? You see, there's the God part. And then there's our part. How many of you have ever had somebody that was down on their life and they needed some, a boost and you stepped in and you helped them? You paid their car note or you paid their house note or you helped them with your, the last of your finances and you just paid off everything for them and, and tried to get them straight, you know, tried to get them on the right track. If you will notice, most of the time when you do all the work, then they won't do any of the work. So Elisha, he said, what can I do and what can you do? He said, let's both have skin in this game. And that's the way God works with us. God is sovereign. God can do it all. 
But he wants to work with us because he wants us to be productive fruit bearers. That's what he created us to be. Does that make sense? So he says, what can I do to help you? And what do you have in the house? And she said, well, you know, it's, it's not good. We're down to like one flask of olive oil. And that's all we got left. We really, there's no way for us to pay this debt off. He said, I tell you what, I want you to go to your friends and neighbors and family members. I want you to collect as many jars as you, and buckets and pans as you can. And I want you to take them and I want you to bring them in the house. Don't make a big show of it. Don't, you know, don't make a big show of it. This miracle is not for, you know, for you to show off. But I want you to go behind closed doors and I want you to take that flask of oil and I want you to pour it in each container. And as that container fills up, move it aside and fill the next one. And so she went to all her neighbors and friends and her sons went out and collected as many pots and pans and jars as they could. And do you know this is, this is a job for the whole neighborhood. God wants us to work together. We all got to have oil in the game. We all got to give our containers to the project. Anyway, she was willing to humble herself and ask for help. Maybe that's what I'm doing today. I'm asking for help, for containers to be filled with God's Holy Spirit so that we can get this job done. So she... Her and her two sons began to pour that flask, and it was just a, probably a little flask, but it just kept coming out. And they would fill one jar and set it to the side and fill another until she had filled all the jars in the house, all, as much as she could collect. A miracle of the Lord filled those jars. And then he told her, take this olive oil that the Lord has blessed you with and sell it and pay off your debt and then live off the rest. It was a miracle. But she had to, but God used what was in her hand, you understand. He didn't just, he didn't just go and pay off her debt. He wanted to know what's in your hand. What do you have that you can give skin in the game? What can you do? Are you willing to humble yourself? Are you willing to ask for help? Are you willing to do what I ask you to do even if it don't make sense? Can you imagine asking all your friends for containers and you ain't got nothing but one little flask of oil? It took a little faith. But that's what the Lord requires, isn't it? He said, what do you have in the house? And so I asked our leaders last week. I texted them and I said, guys, what do you see as our strengths in the Passion Church? In other words, what do we have in the house that we can give the Lord? And they wrote me back some things, and I prayed on it, meditated on it. I had 10 things I was going to share, and I got two more this morning. So I have 12 quick things I'm going to share with you. These are not the things we don't have. But these are the things that this church right here, 983 Goodman West, 
These are the things that we do have in the house. These are the things that you tell your friends when they ask you about your church. That's the directive. This is who we are. This is what we're going to begin to speak. This is what we're going to lay before the Lord and say, this is what we have, God. Work with this. The first thing is that God's presence is here. Just the fact that you say amen testifies that God's presence is in this place because if it was a dry, old, dusty church and you didn't feel the presence of God, you'd be like, not really. I, don't, I think he's lying. You know, that's not in every church. I hadn't been to a whole lot of churches, but I've been to some, and God's presence is not in every church. The second thing is that God has shown this church our vision. We are a place that has sought the Lord to know what we're supposed to do. We're not just here taking up space, going from week to week, hoping just, you know, everything will work out. But we have said, what do you require of us? Where, what is our vision? Where are we going? And he began to answer our questions where, why, and how, and who, and when, and what. And we wrote them down, and we made them plain. Not every church has that. Not every church knows what they're even here for. But we have a common goal. The third thing is that I believe our teaching is biblically sound. The people who minister from behind this pulpit seek the Lord and they preach from the Bible. And I believe, like I told you, that I'm not up here just preaching whatever feels good to me or whatever I happen to, you know, be studying on, but I, I am seeking to be led by the Holy Spirit to give you what God has for you today, fresh bread in the house of God. I think that's important. And I'm not... I feel uniquely qualified to make that statement. Because I could take credit for all the things that the Lord has shown us in this house and say I did that, but I know I didn't do that. He has done so many. He has put entire series together backwards. And I didn't even see where we were going until after we got there. I don't know what I'm going to preach next week. But I don't worry about it anymore. Because I don't, I don't dwell on it until he downloads it into me. But I will be seeking him. And I'm glad that we have fresh bread in the house of God. Not some stale old man preaching somebody else's sermons. Fresh bread in the house. That's good things. God's presence is here. Our, we have a vision and we preach biblically sound messages led by the Holy Spirit. And number four, our worship is sincere. It may not be your style of music. We may not be the best musicians, but our worship is sincere. And we truly are not there to be seen, but to lead you on a journey to the presence of God and to worship Him ourselves. Number five, and I know almost everybody said this, we have a genuine love for God and for the people that come in these doors. I mean, you can, you can see who we are. It's up there. That's, that's, I love our banner because everyone matters to us. We're a hospital of hope, and we love people, and they, they sense it when they come here. Not every church has that. Number six, 
Everyone can get involved here at the Passion Church. If you're interested in becoming a minister, or you're interested in uh, working with the children, working any, oh, doors are open to you. Possibility, you might not start where you want to start, but we can get you rolling. And, and everyone should feel like, this is my church. Because I have skin in the game. I believe in what we're doing. I am serving the Lord here. This is where I come to give my gifts and abilities to the Lord. So I believe that's, that's very beautiful. It's our church. It's a training ground for new ministers. Number seven, great discipleship and personal growth happens here. We have been intentional about helping people find the passionate pursuit of true purpose in their lives. To see people go around that discipleship wheel, that, that is our desire for your personal growth. And I see people going around that wheel, and I know that even though it may not be showing on the outside, there's some stuff in the basement. There's some stuff going on in the lives of every person here. I, I don't think I can look at a face out there that I haven't seen grow under this ministry and being blessed by this ministry and the participation that they have in this ministry. Number eight, authentic relationships are built here. Whether it be through our life groups or whether we, whether we go out to eat afterwards together or we work together in the children's church or we get to know each other through cleaning the church. or People don't just come here and say, how you doing, brother? And not know anybody. We don't just put on a face. We come here and we know each other. And we're in this together. And we pull together. And I think that's beautiful. Real relationships. And so many people need that. Do you understand? These are qualities of this church. Beautiful things that God has done that we overlook for the few little negatives, that, the things that we don't have. And I have been guilty, and I apologize, and I, I repent. Number nine, our children have fun, and they learn about God thanks to a loving staff and a caring staff to the Spirit of God. Number ten, we've always been a soul-winning church. Through the jail ministries and other ministries that we have, through your personal ministry, through your in invitations to people to come to our church. We've always been a soul-winning church. We've always had an altar call. We've always given somebody a chance to turn their life back to Jesus. Number 11, we have a tremendous missions department. A program. We have over 23 missionaries around the world that at times we're able to help. Uh, we focus on, uh, you know, a select few for the most part, but at times many other ministries come to us and we're able to help in their time of need. And as you know, I get personally to minister to the people in Pakistan. Pastor Vickers is ministering personally to those in India and in Uganda. And we're raising up not just people around the world, but other leaders, other pastors in these areas who are raising up people underneath them. 
And boy, you're going to be surprised when you get to heaven to find out what your missionary dollars have accomplished. You are going to be very, very surprised. And then the twelfth thing is we have humble leaders within the church. I'm like the king of humble. I'm the most humble ever. You, you probably never meet anybody as humble as me. I mean, I'm perfectly humble in every way. No, no. That's the old me. No, I have been humbled. I have been down that road. I, I, since I got saved, God has had me on the humility program. I am not kidding. That has been his number one focus. And you can, why are you laughing, Angie? Because you know. <laughs> but not just me, others in this church, they are sincere about serving the Lord. They're not doing it for glory. They're not doing it for personal reasons. They're doing it because they love God. I believe we have a church full of humble leaders, leaders who will actually listen to correction. Listen to people, even if they say something that don't make sense, we'll still listen, you know. <laughs> and we will consider it. And we will make changes. And just like last week, you heard me say that I had made a mistake the week before and said May 4th. And it was May 14th when Israel came back together in the nation in 1948. I will correct my mistakes. I'm not trying to, to be anything or to do anything or to make myself out to be something. And so we have humble leadership within, and I wrote we have experienced leadership to whom we are held accountable. And predict uh, prominently the other pastors and, and the, the, our board of directors and Pastor Steve Vickers. He is experienced. He's been through everything that we've, we, we hadn't yet to go through. And he is, is a tremendous help to me in every way. And just a wonderful man of God and it is awesome that we have those kind of people to be held accountable to accountability is a good thing don't need to be any lone rangers out in the body of Christ thinking they got it all figured out that's where people get off track you need everybody needs to disciple someone but everybody needs to be being discipled there's nobody all the way up to Jesus you know he's the only one that doesn't need to be discipled so those are 12 things that you can tell people are good things about our church isn't that exciting let's give the Lord a hand about that he did that in us and give yourselves a hand because you let him good job good job good job we're going to be a humble uh, congregation and let God mold and shape us to where he wants us to be right I've always said that the need is in the seed Everything that we need, I believe, is in the seed. And the way I look at it, if we're going to plant churches all over the world, we, we are the seed. Because we hadn't started other than, you know, missionary work. But, but us planting other churches, we, we're still in the seed form. But I believe everything that we need to accomplish that is here now. Enough to get us to the next stage where more people come in and more gifts and the talents are available. But you know what? The seed without faith, it's not going to grow. 
And that leads me to our second directive. Are you ready? That same day, when, we were, when I came to prayer that evening, on Tuesday night, 6 o'clock, we were praying, and we prayed for like 50 minutes, and we prayed the house of fire, you know. It was good. Spirit was here, and, and we were laying out our heart before the Lord. And I tell you, that cleanses you. That makes you feel so good to pray, to get, go before God and get it all out. And we prayed for you, and we prayed for this church and our directive and our vision and, and our children and this world and for Israel. We prayed for everything. But it was still like 10 minutes left towards the end. And I slowed myself down because I'd already prayed about 20 minutes myself. <laughs> Some of you that come on prayer on Tuesday nights, you say, yeah, Pastor, you tend to hog some of the time. But I said, I'll tell you what we're going to do. We're going to stop right now, and we're just going to listen. Let's just listen to what God would say. And so we did. We just stopped talking. There was a holy hush. Just a great, beautiful bigness of silence. And that's another thing we all need in our life sometimes. Get it all out and just... Bask in the glory of God and listen. And we had been sitting there for about two or three minutes. And Brother Tom, who's a staple at Tuesday night prayer for, I don't know, 30 years. He got a word from the Lord. And I don't remember exactly what he prophesied, but it was something along the lines of that we can't do this without faith that it's impossible to please God without faith. And so the word faith was our second directive that I'm going to share with you today. Because when you're ready to get out of the boat, and you're ready to do more than just, you know, 11 disciples were in the boat, and they just wanted to get to the other side. The storms was raging and all this, and they're like, I just want to stay safe in the boat. I'm just worried about me getting to the other side. But when Peter saw Jesus walking on the water, he said, if it's you, Lord, bid me to come to you. Let me out of the boat because I don't want just safe passage to the other side. I'm not just a pew sitter. I got... A desire to do more for you, Jesus. Call me. Give me a word. And Jesus said, come. And so Peter stepped out. And that's what we're doing. We're a people that gets out of the boat. We're going to do great things for the Lord. By faith, he stepped out of the boat. When everybody else was in fear, he was in faith. And he actually walked on the water, the only man besides Jesus to ever walk on water, I bet you. And things were going good until maybe lightning and thunder crashed and a big wave splashed and he got his eyes off of Jesus for a minute and then he thought, what am I doing up here? <laughs> Do you know sometime when you're walking with the Lord, you can be freaked out? How did I get here? 
I guess he got overwhelmed for a minute, and he thought, oh, Lord, what if I sink? In the, in the process, he had forgot to keep his eyes on Jesus. He began to look at the problems. And see, that's what we do when we tell God what we don't have. We're focusing on the problems. We're focusing on the negative. And God's saying, what do you have? And you know what we have? We have Jesus standing there with the word saying, come. Come on. You got this. Me and you can do anything. Me and you. Stay focused. What do you have? You got me. But he lost focus for a minute. He said, Lord, I'm drowning. And then in Matthew 14, 31, it says, Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. Immediately. He didn't even let him go under good. Do you know that if you step out on the things of God and fail and lose heart or lose faith for a moment, that's not the end of you? God's not going to let you fall permanently if you're willing to get back up. So he grabbed him, but he did say, you have so little faith. At least he had faith. Don't take any faith to stay in the boat, be in fear. He had little faith, but he had faith. And a little faith was enough to, to suspend all the natural laws of the universe. He said, why did you have so little faith? Can you imagine what we could do with big faith? If little faith will get you walking on the water. And then he said, why did you doubt me? How many of you, if I were to ask you to, I'm not going to because I don't want to know. How many of you, if I were to ask you to raise your hand and say that you believe the vision written on this wall did indeed come from the Lord? And then if I was to say, okay, keep your hands up. Now, if you believe this vision that we wrote on the wall came from God, how many of you believe that he is able to bring it to pass? Would any hands go down? Is he not capable? Did he just say and not intend to do? Is that the character of our God? What's it going to take for us to really believe that God can do this through us? Do you really believe that? Faith is evident by what you look at, what you think on, and what you say. Let me repeat that. We can tell you have faith. By where you keep your eyes. Where you keep your thoughts. And what comes out your mouth. That's how we know if you have faith. That God is really in this. And let's not just talk about the church. Let's talk about your individual life. God has called you to great things. And maybe it's been 20 years and you haven't reached that yet. And it's easy to say, well, I guess 
you know, with times the way they are and tough and everybody, nobody else seems to be getting out of the boat. You know, I just, I guess I'll just stay in the boat, be fearful with everybody else. We just, you know, looking to that day when Jesus comes back. And I'm going to forget that he's called me to come to him. Have you forgot to think about and to stir up and rejoice over the calling of God in your personal life? The dreams that he's given you for your family, for your job, for your relationships? Have you, well, I guess that ain't going to happen. Maybe that was, I ate some bad Mexican cornbread that night or something, you know. Maybe I just dreamed that. You, you, the devil would like to say, did God really say? Did God really say that he could use you? Man, you're just, you must have been on drugs. He didn't say that. No, he did. No, he did say that to you. Are you still thinking on it? You still got your eyes on it? You still talking about it? Hebrews 12.2 says about what we look at. He says, we do this. Look at your neighbor and say, we do this. We do this. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. He is the author. He wrote the story. And he is the finisher. He will bring it to pass of your faith. But if you don't give him any faith, What's he got to work with? Somebody cowered down in the boat. We keep our eyes on Jesus, the champion. You think you can lose with Jesus on your side? Who initiates and perfects our faith. He's the one who gave it to you. He initiated this thing. Just use it. He'll perfect it. It won't be great coming off the bat. You may get out of the boat and sink a few times. But if you'll keep getting out of the boat pretty soon, you'll be skiing on top of the water without skis. I've been accused of being able to do that with my size 13s. But All right, so we keep our eyes on Jesus. That's what we look at. What do we think on? Philippians 4.8 says, And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true, what is honorable, what is right and pure and lovely and admirable. That sounds like we're going to think on the good things and not sit up here and rehearse the things we don't have. That sounds like we're going to think about the positive things. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. My mind's just like yours. This flesh is just like yours. It wants to gravitate to the negative. But that's not doing you or anybody else any good. You must fix your thoughts. You must change your thoughts. You must actively pursue to, to, to reject the negative thoughts. The words that you're saying as you're saying them that are negative, you say, whoa, wait a minute. That, I didn't even mean to say that. That's just the devil using me as his puppet. I'm sorry about that. What I meant to say was, and speak faith. Speak faith. Because that's what you're thinking on. 
What do we say? Romans 10, 8 says, But what saith it? The word is nigh thee. It's right here. And it shouldn't only be right there. It should be right here. The word is nigh thee. And faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. This is what we base our faith on. The promises of God. They're yes and amen. They're yes if we say amen. The word is nigh thee even in thy mouth. That's where it should be. We should be speaking it. And in thy heart, that is the word of faith which we preach. We say we believe. We tell others what to do. Are we doing it ourselves? Are we speaking the good things that we're thinking of? Are we preaching Jesus that we got our eyes on? The father of our faith, Abraham, it says of him in Romans 4, verse 20, that he staggered not at the promises of God through unbelief. I mean, he was 75 years old and his wife was barren. They had never had any children. And God says, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. That seemed like an impossibility. And it was, except for God. Now, Abraham, he was 90 before he had that. No, was he 100? He was 100 before he had that. It took him 25 years to build that faith. It took him 25 years of getting out trying to walk on the water, and Jesus had to pull him back up again. But he kept getting out. He kept keeping his eyes on the Lord. He kept walking with God. He kept in, in, in keeping his eyes and his mouth straight and his heart and his mouth lining up together. He began to eventually speak the things of God. He staggered not at the promises of God through unbelief. Unbelief is your enemy. But he was strong in faith, giving glory to God. There's that humility. Because God can't let some of us have what he wants to give us yet because we'd be taking all the credit for it. <laughs> giving glory to God and being fully persuaded that what he had promised he was also able to perform. Are you fully persuaded that God is able to perform that what he has promised you? Our strength is not in what we can do, but what we can believe. There's a bunch of carnal Christians working, 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 working. Trying to please God through their works. But it's impossible to please God through your works. It's faith that pleases God. It's what God can do through you, through your faith. He just merely wants you to believe. You know, there were some disciples walking with Jesus and they were seeing him feed the, the multitudes and, and heal the sick and raise the dead. They were thinking, wow, what must we do to do the works of God? And after all, Jesus promised, promised them that the works that I do shall you do also and even greater works because I go to the Father. You're going to have the Holy Spirit in you. I'm going to be praying for you. What are you missing? You can do it. Look at your neighbor and say, you can do it. No, look at them really and say, you can do it. You can do it. You can do it. 
You can do it. They said, Jesus, how do we get to do these works? What can we do? And this is, this is what blows my mind. In John 6, verse 29, Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. Well, that don't sound like work. It is. That's what God requires of you to believe. If we could simply believe, then it would open up God to let go what's in his hands. He's not asking us to build the church through our own works. In fact, he says, he that laborers laboreth in vain unless the Lord builds the house. And you know what? You're not going to work with any direction or any heart in it anyway if you don't have faith. Because it's faith that produces the works. Where is your faith? Where is my faith? With the little seed of faith, we can move about. With just a little faith, we can walk on water. And here we are doubting that God could use us, this seed, to change the world. Here we are thinking it's impossible. We just think, well, you know, times are tough, Pastor. My, my, I'm working just to pay the bills. I'm just staying in the boat right now. I got my head down. You know, I'm just holding on. I understand. But I'll be honest, I've spent my time in the, sitting in the bottom of the boat too, whining. But it's a new day. And God is reminding us of a new way. He's saying, think about what I've already given you. What do you have to work with? We'll get it done with that. You know, Jesus was preaching to a multitude one time, and the disciples said, man, we need to send these people home. They ain't ate in three days. There's nothing out here in the wilderness. They're all going to starve to death. Jesus said, well, what do you have? <laughs> Faced with an impossibility on the spot, what do you have? They said, well, this little kid's got two loaves and five fishes, but what is that among so many? I mean, that's nothing. Don't matter. In the hands of God, it's more than enough. You can look at yourself and say, what is this? I can't do, I can't do anything. Don't matter. Don't matter. Don't matter. You just got to believe that you and God can do it. You don't have to do it by yourself. You've never been asked to do it by yourself. You've never been asked to Do anything but keep your eyes on Jesus and speak faith. Build faith in your heart so that he can do what he wants to do in you. What's it going to take for us to really believe? What do we need to do? See, I'm thinking about we got to work, we got to do. Well, we do what God says. And our directive right now, going forward for this time until he gives us new directives, 
is we're going to concentrate on what we have in our hand. We're going to speak positive. We're going to think positive. We're going to see positive. We're going to build faith. It is beautiful what God is doing here. This is a, this is a magnificent work of God. It may not be through yet, but he is working. We're going to stir ourselves to know. We're not just going to get to the other side, but we're going to be more than conquerors in him who loved us. We're going to have crowns upon crowns to cast at his feet because we dared to get out of the boat and believe that the vision he gave us, he can bring it to pass. Maybe you're getting older. And it's been so long ago, you forgot about what God's called you to do and the things that he promised you. You've, you've let life beat you down. And, that, and the world's just beating at your door. The wind and the waves are trying to knock your house down. But Jesus said, when you build your house on the rock, when you dig down deep and set up a firm foundation on the rock, your house will stand when everybody else around you crashes in, don't give up. Don't forget in whom you have believed, to whom you belong. He is well able to bring you across into the promised land. With a little boy's sack lunch, he fed the multitude. Everybody ate and was filled. In fact, they picked up 12 baskets full of leftovers. More than enough. God is the God of more than enough. He is the El Shaddai. My God is more than enough. He does supply our, our needs. The old song we used to sing. Maybe we need to get that one out. God is good. God is for you. He's not mad at you. He's for you. He's with you. Trust Him and believe. Romans 10, 8 through 11 says this, then we'll close. Well, actually, we're going to take communion together today. Romans 10, 8 says, in fact, it says, the message is very close at hand. It is on your lips and is in your heart. And that's the message today. Let the word of faith that we preach be on your lips and in your heart. Watch what you say. It determines the course of your life and it flows from your heart. Build faith. And that message is the very message about faith which we preach. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you're made right with God. That's how you got saved. That's how you came into relationship to Jesus. That's how you became a child of God. Your heart says, I believe you died for me, Jesus, and that you were raised from the dead, and that you want to forgive me, and that you will if I repent. And you came into relation just simply by believing. Did you have to clean up? 
Did you have to get your life right first? Did you have to do a bunch of works? You simply believed. And God saw that your heart lined up with the things that you were saying and that there was faith in it. And you were saved. And we, that's how, how, how a relationship starts. And that's how our sanctification is, progresses. And that's how our calling will be achieved. Same thing. Your heart and your mouth, speak, we speak in faith. We see in the good things. We're thinking on the good things. Eyes on Jesus and our mouth aligned with our heart and our heart filled with the word of God. For it is by believing in your heart that you're made right with God and by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. And you can say openly declaring your faith that you overcome in this world. As the scriptures tell us, anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, do you believe? That's the question. Do you believe? Well, I want to do the works of God. This is the work of God that you believe on the one whom he sent. Believe Jesus to be saved, to be translated out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son, to be brought out of the pit and the mire and the muck of this dark fleshly life that you've lived in and come and, and build a house on the rock and stand for something good and right and pure and true and lovely and of good report. If you don't know Jesus, don't matter what, if you're wearing a name brand shirt right now or Nike sneakers, or you got money in your pocket, or you got, a, you, you got a vehicle, or you don't. Don't matter if you got a job. Don't matter if you just took three quaaludes and you barely made it in here today. It matters in your heart and your mouth. And you say, Jesus, I repent and believe that you'll save me. I believe you. That's all he wants to ever hear is, I believe you. It's impossible to please him without faith. Just tell him, Jesus, I believe you. I repent. I give my heart to you. Save me. And you say it out of your mouth. Believe it in your heart. And that's the day all things became new for you. If you hadn't done that, just do it right now. I don't have to lead you in that prayer. Just say it out of your own mouth. If you're online, say, Jesus... I believe you are who you say you are. And I trust you to forgive me of my sins. Be the Lord of my life. I'm going to follow you. Just say it. Say, be my Lord. I will follow you. Well, anybody think those are two directives from the Lord? You think this is our vision? Think this is our church? You think that we can get out of the boat and do great things? If God be for us, who can be against us? We have this licked. And this is just the latest directive. This is the things that God is saying. Let's begin to speak it. Let's begin to speak our faith. Let's begin to say, this is what we have, God, and we know you're going to bless it. Uh, now we're going to take communion together, huh? You go get the kids. And what we're going to do is we have a table full of the elements right here. 
and we're going to get up and uh, we're going to start with you, Nicholas, and then this full row will go around the church and come down that aisle. The next row will follow them. Each row on this side will follow and get in line. And then when that side is finished, they're going to start at that back. Tommy, you'll be the first, and then your row, and then every row up until this first row. We'll get in line behind you. Amen, Brother Chad. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You know, uh, in John 6, 54, Jesus told the crowd, he said, anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Well, not many people understood that message. In fact, a lot of people stop following Jesus that day. They said, this is a hard message. Who can understand it? But it was just hard for their physical minds 
because they were thinking naturally, right? But here we are today, we're about to drink the blood of Jesus. This wine or this grape juice represents the blood of Jesus. And this bread represents the body of Christ. And here we are 2,000 years later doing exactly what he says. The person who does this up will be raised up on the last day. Because why? Because we think upon spiritual things. Do you know you're a spiritual being? You're not just some hard-headed natural brute beast, as the Bible calls it. So many people just, they only see what they see with their eyes, their, their physical eyes. They never see with their heart. They never hear with their spiritual ears. But you are a people who see deeper. And deep is calling unto deep. And deep is calling us deeper today. God is wanting to use your life. And he's excited that you understand that this bread represents his body. You are like his disciples that met with him. We're like his disciples today. We're meeting with the Lord in the upper room. So if you can figure out how to open this thing up. Uh-oh. It's got two of them. All right. They were in that upper room. And you know where Jesus wanted to be? This is right before he knew what was about to happen to him. It, it must have been an excruciating time mentally for him. And where did he want to be but with you, with his disciples? That's where he wanted to be. It was probably the best night of his life to share this with them. He said, he took the bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body which is about to be broken for you. I am the bread of life. You eat this, you trust in me, you'll live. My body was broken that yours may be whole. I was bruised for your iniquities. Chastisement of my peace, or your peace was upon me. All those things it says in Isaiah, he did this for your healing. For your physical body to be healed, that his was broken for that. So he said, he blessed it, and he gave it to him and said, take, eat. This is my body, which was given up for you. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. When the supper was ended, he took a cup of wine, and he blessed it. And he told him. This is my blood in the new covenant. We got a new covenant together. It's not like the old covenant. It's based on faith. It's based on my grace. It's based on me washing away your sins and you not trying to prove to me how good you are. It's about you believing in me and looking to the cross where my blood was shed. This is my blood. Often as you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. Thank you, Jesus. Somebody say amen. We'll stand to your feet. Can we do this? Will we do this?
Where are we going to keep our eyes? What are we going to think on? Good things. And no better thing to think on than Jesus. So some of you said Jesus on that one too. What are we going to speak? What are we going to say when they ask us about our church? What we do have. What we do have. Amen. That's plenty. We have a beautiful church, and you're a part of it. You're a living stone in God's house. Father, I just I pray a blessing over your people. Father, that they would go out and share this light that they have, they've learned today, Father. That they would be doers of your word. That you would empower them to, to stir up that vision and that calling in their life again. To not doubt, but to believe that you are able and willing to bring them to the promised land. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You're released. Thanks for listening to the podcast today. We hope you enjoyed it and that it inspires you to live out God's Word. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church.